someone asked me like, why don't I hold much Bitcoin is because what do you need to believe for Bitcoin to grow 10x in value? Basically establish the same market cap as gold. And gold took hundreds of years to ossify as a store of value, a social consensus. I don't necessarily believe that. Like in order for Bitcoin to do a 10x, think about the amount, what that, like, what do you need to believe for that to happen? All right, everyone. So on Empire, you obviously know that we talk a lot about the institutions coming into crypto. And that is why we are super excited to share that we are hosting the Digital Asset Summit. We've hosted this since 2019. It's coming up in London, March 18th to 20th. Don't miss your chance to get ahead of the curve. You can get 20% off with code EMPIRE20. We'll see you in London. This episode is brought to you by the Chronicle Protocol, a cost-efficient, transparent, and decentralized Oracle. Chronicle has developed a next-generation Oracle primitive called Scribe, which reduces Oracle gas fees on L1s and L2s by over 60%. You'll hear more about Chronicle later in the show. This episode is brought to you by Northstake, the secure and compliant staking platform for institutional investors. Northstake's ETH staking service lets institutions earn staking rewards while maintaining maximum flexibility on all of their capital. You can learn more about Northstake's institutional staking services by clicking the link in the show notes or that QR code that is on your screen right now if you're on YouTube. Now, let's get into the show. I use SoundCloud for discovery though. SoundCloud is just fire. I love these tracks for like an hour, an hour 30 mashups or just like ultra sets. I'm going to, uh, this is going to be super cringe. I know we already hit record, but I'll just say it anyways. But you're you normally the cringe person and you're, I we have, I read the YouTube you're, comments. You're, I know I'm cringe. I've accepted it. Are you in the, and I also have you, by the way, have you also seen that I have more followers now? No way. What'd you, you bought, you buy some bots again? I'm poor. And second, no, no. Just up, been, uh, I've been tweeting a lot about Solana stuff, which actually I do want to go deep. I've been going very deep. Uh, look, but yes, I think I've gained a lot of followers. Yeah, before Solana, let's, uh, so we have, so Solana rap just, or Solana rap, Spotify <laughs> rap just came out. Oh my God. And uh, we had a bunch of people who had, who had empires, their top, top pods. So appreciate all you guys. If, um if anyone comes to permissionless or DAS and empire was a top you're a top 1% listener, we'll give you some free merch. And folks, for context, I haven't even gotten any merch. Like, I'm an investor in Blockwork. <laughs> and I've been sitting in this goddamn chair for, <laughs> since well, I left Paris. Here, so this is, uh, Blockworks does not have much merch. Not because we're like, you know. Trying says to the it. guy that has, like, Blockworks. Dude, hat. I made this and paid for this with my own money. This hat I bought with my own money, not the company card, because we were we bootstrapped for the first five and a half years. We were so cheap that we didn't even get t-shirts with the Blockworks logo printed on it for five years into the company. I respect that. <laughs> you know, I'm very I'm very bearish. Like you could have shorted every single crypto company that it was a premier sponsor in consensus. Um, and they would have gone to zero. Like it would have been a great trade. Like companies should just not spend in merch. Like it's just no. Yeah. Hire another All right, one so pull, pull up your Spotify wrapped. Let's see what you got. Okay. Well, I want to see the podcast section, which I haven't been able to find. This is how technologically incompetent I am, I guess. Definitely going to be the worst roundup we record all year, but that's okay. Maybe not, man. I don't think people want to... I mean, we riff a lot about crypto, but there's other things interesting in life that are not crypto. Like, my life is very much crypto, but... I listened to a lot of Jay-Z not. this year. Uh, interesting. Jay-Z was, interesting. Top, was number four. I got Diplo, Morgan Wallen, Heartless. Great song. I'm a country guy. Man, you know, I had like 10. 
Oh yeah, big time, big time. I love country. Like I love ed- I love EDM, like traditional house music, Avicii's of the world. Um, and I also love uh, just straight up country. Well, Zach Bryan. Oh, oh yeah. My top oh, pods. Yeah. I listen. I listen to. I, I went Jimmy back Allen. to invest like the best after not listening to invest like the best for a couple of years. Founders Pod. Oh man, my my stuff is so basic. I'm. So I got basic. some taste rift. I got some taste rift. I like taste rift. All right. I can't share this um, actually. Mine are too. Mine are too basic. Well, like it's like NFTs, man. You know what makes it? You know basic what it is. Not? I basically I hate, different... I hate when people are very opinionated with your. You know when someone asks a question, it's like, "What do you like?" It's like, "Oh, you like you like house." Okay, so what do you like house? And you just know the guy on the other end is gonna totally bash you and say that you're a basic bitch because you listen to Avicii. And I'm sorry, I just like to listen to whatever music yeah, well, makes me feel yes, good. Yes, on my top five, which I know I'll get a lot of shit. Which you know what? No, but, but I respect. In the hours of if I need to crank, I'm drinking an espresso at 8 p.m. I'm putting on my big headphones and I'm listening to a, a Tiesto set from like 10 p.m. till 1 a.m. and just cranking out some work. Dude. You know how I survived uh, DeFi summer where I was not sleeping, just yield farming, oh. just listening to house music oh, yeah. <laughs> with these same headphones, this mashup like Avicii Ultra remix, the last one he did 10 times in a day, like, like maniacally. 2015, yeah. Like I know, the, you can tell me what's, what's minute four of this uh, hour 30 uh, I have that like with set. Like Martin and I'm Garrick, like, I'm like oh, brother. Minute 26, like, oh. Usher comes on. I'm like. <laughs> That's great. And, yeah. I, and you know, the best part now is Spotify has this DJ function, which I'm not like 100% sold on. Honestly, sometimes I'm like really mad at this. I don't, I don't like it that much. No, I'm like, I don't like no. like yeah. what? No, no. Really bad selection. But every once in a while, the shuffle works. Mm. Every so often. And that song that you haven't Stand listened to. Stand up out of your in, chair. <laughs> <laughs> There's that song that always comes back. And it happens like once a week, right? We might be like in a, wrong, uh, in a long uh, run or a long cycle or like driving or right, on a plane. You're going through this. And I, I'm in this phase now where I'm stuck. I don't have good music. And I'm dreading it because I'm hopping on a 24-hour flight. <laughs> Dude, you gotta get Tomorrow. in. You gotta get in this Telegram chat. Crypto EDM jams. Uh, this is Tommy's. This, this no, is no. This Tom, is Tom. yeah, Tom yeah. Shaughnessy, and I Listen. think Ben Sparango from. Yeah, yeah, uh, I love Solana. those two guys. One of my favorite people in the space, by the yeah. way, for different reasons. Um, Tommy started this so, group in like 2017 or 2018. No, no, I'm part of the group now. Oh yeah, Listen, nice. I went, I went on Tommy's podcast twice or three times. And every time he had mentioned this group and would never add me until the third, I publicly called him out on it and he added me. That was the only reason why. He's I'm very not. selective. I, he's added people and then he's, <laughs> but he, he's, he's capped it at 200 the like, whole time. Cool so enough, if he yeah. adds someone, he has to chop someone. So interesting. That's my good, okay. my source of music. Um, dude, we, uh, another big W for the empire pod this week. We, so we, so Das has these, uh, these promo codes like empire 20 and stuff. And we did a black rock one. Uh, Empire was fifth of all the Blockworks pods. We're now second, so we've uh, we've leapt to number two. I, I, I'm hoping we're still not happy. Really, by the way, I I, I only take one number one. We're, we're not happy, but give it. A couple of people need to use the code Empire twenty for DAS, and uh, yeah, we'll we'll leap to number no. one. I'm confident. We need to give Mike and Mark Yusko like a glimmer of hope, you know, that they can beat us, and then and then we'll 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 skyrocket. Yeah, we'll make him feel like it's a competition, but it's really not. Exactly. So you just got off this uh, 
Twitter spaces. So, so Empire just did our first ever live stream. That was fun. Um, yeah. I tuned into the end of it. Uh, <laughs> I was on Amtrak, so I couldn't, couldn't actually partake. But uh, it was with it was with Nick from Celestia. It was with the CTO of Aptos. Um, Avery Chan. Uh, yeah, it was with uh, Mov- Movement and Labs. Rushi. Yeah. Uh, for Movement Lab. No, really, really great discussion. Look, I think the most important discussion that is happening in crypto right now, perhaps the most relevant, is this idea of modular versus monolithic. And I think it's, we're going to look back on this moment of infrastructure development in crypto and say, this was probably very comparable to what happened after the dot-com crash and the software-as-a-service movement. This, un- like, Technological phases go through this bundling and unbundling, and there's a lot of creativity expression that happens in this unbundling phase, and then and then you have a rebundling, um, which is something that I asked towards the end, and it was interesting to get their perspective. But yeah, basically, you're. I mean, we don't have to go into the full details here. People should go listen to a lot of this great podcast. There's, well, you know, can, you kind of sum, can you kind of summarize it? What were you guys talking about? Any any takeaways sure, yeah. that make you think differently in any way? Well, so for context, Aptos is this kind of next-gen layer one that a lot of the work that had been done in Facebook, Libra, they took it. They're using this move programming language, parallel execution. There's a, like basically like higher performance layer one. And the way I think of it, and I'm an investor in Aptos, full disclosure, is move as a programming language is like um, is really superior in the sense that I focus on is it's just more secure. Like you would avoid every re-entrancy attack in DeFi because with move and that's huge, right? Cause we keep like kyber swap just happened and it was like a, incredible how sophisticated these attackers are uh, finding these bugs and solidity is not the perfect language. I don't think it will be the de facto language and the standard much farther down the line. It just has a benefit of network effects or whatever, but that's interesting. <clears throat> So we had him talking about, look, it's obviously like an integrated blockchain. It has some modular pieces to it, which I didn't fully appreciate. So th- he was on. Um, so, and, and then we had Rushi on. Um, but basically, Rushi for Movement Labs, what they're doing is they're taking, say that you're an app and you're a, uh, you develop, you have a DeFi protocol in Aptos, which still obviously is relatively new. And you, you want to, you know, you don't have as many users with liquidity. So what does movement do? Movement says, hey, if you're a protocol that is already deployed and has a move like on Aptos, <clears throat> then you can use our VM to then connect to Ethereum, which is pretty cool, right? Because ultimately you want to tap into the liquidity, you want to tap into those users. Um, and so it allows for that, which is pretty cool. Um, and there's a whole, you know, and, and the... And why Celestia is relevant in all of that is because obviously when you're launching this kind of L2, Celestia allows you to, in this modular framework, allows you to outsource um, data availability and consensus, which hmm. data, the way I think of it is blockchain, running blockchains is very expensive or it has three major cost components. One is hardware requirements, which, you know, Solana, for instance, is higher. Like running a Solana node is costs three thousand bucks of hardware, give or take. Um, like a Alienware, like a very sophisticated computer with some GPU, whatever. 
Solana, like uh, Ethereum, no, like it's 200 bucks, like it's a Raspberry Pi or whatever. <clears throat> so it's hardware bandwidth because obviously you're, you're piping through a bunch of data, right, in every block. So that requires like fiber optic connectivity and that has a cost, right? It's price per, you know, uh, unit of data that gets transacted, right? When you pay for your internet. And then the third component of all of that is storage costs. Like at some point you're going to, these, the state and synchronizing the state in these blockchains as they grow and propagate, right? And these, you know, it's ever expanding, right? And so scalability is always at the heart of that. And what Celestia has come in and done is, is says, hey, we're going to specialize in data availability and consensus. And what data availability, they, they just pioneered this thing called data availability sampling, which scales sublinearly. So basically, like, instead of every node having to basically to reach consensus and settle, you need to make sure that all the transactions in a block um, are correct and you don't have a double spin. Right. You don't have even in a parallel execution environment, you don't have transactions that may be conflicting. Right. Because you may have a same type of smart contract calling one thing in the double spend thing. But then you have a higher fee and the transaction that has a higher fee priority, like gets prioritized and gets included in the block um, in a parallel execution environment. And so um, Celestia, for context, um, like the data sampling is instead of every node to reach consensus, you got to make sure, well, that the data in the block is actually correct. It's ordered correctly and doesn't have these double spend things, right? Um, they allow you to, instead of having every node having to inspect and look at all of the data in the block, you're just sampling a small amount. Hmm. And probabilistically say, no, the data in that block is correct. We can reach consensus in a much cost-effective manner. And that's pretty huge, right? Because... In Ethereum, even in L2s, like if you don't have this data availability sampling, it's pretty expensive. Like you can think of it like it's, you know, if you increase the block size, well, there's more data in the block. Um, and so it it becomes one of these like pretty big unlocks in my mind. Yeah. Um, for context, I was talking to a team that I'm an investor in. Uh, they're going to launch their own L2. And, you know, we have hundreds now, maybe thousands of L2s. We're, we're, there's no stop in, in, sign, in sight. And, and the cost, ultimately, if you're not using Celestia, you have to pay for that. You have to pay for, like, that, those data costs that you need to send back to the L1, ETH L1, like the for every you know batching of transactions that happens, you, you ultimately just settle it and send it to the ETH L1. That has a cost, which is pretty high. So for instance, I asked Nick from Celestia, who's a COO, said so like, what's the cost? What does that translate into cost savings if you're a team that wants to launch your own L2? Like you're a gaming project, you want to launch your own L2. And he didn't have like a finance, or he said they were going to publish this data, but for context, I, this project that I was talking to said it would have cost us like, a hundred thousand bucks to do it ourselves by us having to do data availability and you know in-house if we outsource it to celestia it's a thousand bucks so you go from a hundred thousand to a thousand that's huge like that's multiple two orders of magnitude right cost improvements so anyways the tldr of all this is a very interesting discussion why because Movement, I think, will be very interesting to see which type of Aptos projects or or new projects that are building on Aptos because 
candidly, Move is a better programming language. I'm sorry, I'm not a developer. I have no business in commenting, but I care about the hacks that are happening in DeFi. And so if you tell me that a programming language is formally verified and would prevent every single most of reentrancy attacks, I'm like, yes, on board. Because you know, no, I, 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 had, I was telling you, I, about nine months ago, I had dinner with the founder of one of the biggest custodians in the space. And he came from Web2 as well. And he um, he's like, look, I think it's general consensus that Move is the best programming language. It's just yeah. It just doesn't have the kind of narrative among crypto natives right now. Right. So. And I think that's where movement becomes so important. Yeah. Because how you build network effects and interest in a chain. Well, I think this is a, a very interesting hybrid solution that allows you to leverage all the benefits of Move as a programming language and uh, all the liquidity user mind share that exists in Ethereum. So <clears throat> towards the end, I asked him, do, do you think you were going to see a rebundling? Like it, it's sort of like a vampire attack on Ethereum, right? Where like you, you make mm. it easy to deploy a move um, on a VM, like a move based like uh, program on a VM. And so you and all of a sudden like tap into all that, you know, Ethereum. And so is that a vampire attack? Like, like how do you see this? I don't think it's a, I actually would be curious to get your opinion on, on this whole discussion of, modular versus monolithic slash integrated. Some people call it. Yeah, I, can, I mean, I can share. I, uh, I had this call. I'll tie this story together with your question. So I had a call with a guy who built big events and media business and uh, big uh, in, in actually the eighties in the, in the, in the, around the internet. And um, uh, this was in the eighties, even pre Netscape, pre browsers going mainstream in the early to mid 90s, this was in the 80s. And he, I was explaining to him like this big debate that's happening in crypto, which we're talking about right now, monolithic versus modular. And he goes, oh my God, that's what you're talking about is protocol layering versus integrated designs. And I was like, okay, what do you mean? He goes, in the early internet, there was this huge conversation, the big debate was regarding the design of network protocols and infrastructure. And the internet today is, as obviously, is a, is a modular approach. And if you haven't seen, have you ever seen the, the OSI model, Open Systems Interconnection model? It's just sort of like history of computing in Palo Alto. Yeah, look at, look at this. this guy, um, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm sure a million people already know this, but I'm going to reveal my ignorance and, sh and share this with you. I, I hadn't heard of this before. So This is what we do at Empire, by the way. We reveal our ignorance. It's a good exactly. Way so what you're looking at, this is the internet right here. So the internet, as we know, it is broken into various networking functions and distinct layers. So you've got physical layer, data link layer, networking layer, transport layer. So for those who aren't actually watching, I can kind of look at the, uh, explain this. There's seven layers of the OSI model. At the bottom is... Uh, is the the bits fiber layer? It's bit, it's bits. It's it's the physical layer. It's fiber. It's wireless. It's hubs. It's the physical structure. Moving up one one layer is the data link layer, which is you move from bits to frames. Um, and this is like Ethernet, you know, switch, bridge, things like that. Then you get into packets, right? This is the networking layer. Uh, IP, ICMP, IPsec, IGMP. This is like path determination and IP, like logical addressing. Then you go Rally. up another layer to uh, segments, right? This is the transport layer. This is like end-to-end -end connections and reliability, TCP, UDP. Then you go to the fifth layer, the session layer. This is, this is when you get into what we would think of in crypto as like the data availability layer, basically. This is the first, uh, the, this is the first like data layer, which is the like inner host communication layer, APIs, sockets, WinSock, uh, like would that be like a layer zero or like a IBC? Yeah, that that's that's my understanding of it. 
then you go up another layer. Then the, the top three layers are basically data, data layers. So session, then presentation. Presentation is like, how do you represent the data? Uh, it's like, it's the syntax layer, right? SSL, IMAP, MPEG. If you've ever seen like a JPEG file, like JPEG, like that's oh, the presentation JPEGs. layer. Yeah, exactly. This is this wow. is NFTs, baby. Uh, and then the then the the top layer is the application layer. This is the the network process to application, right? This is the end user layer, and this is protocols like HTTP, uh, SSH, DNS, uh, FTP, IRC. Like these are this is the application layer. The, the most famous ones, obviously, HTTP. So I don't know. I, this is news to me that this thing exists, and I thought it was a really helpful framework to understand how the internet works today. Today, basically, each layer is responsible for specific tasks, which allows for easier management, updating, troubleshooting, all these kind of things. But as this guy was explaining to me, there were all these like very intense arguments back in the 80s in favor of more monolithic designs where these functions would be more tightly integrated. And proponents of that argument argued that these are his words, not mine. It would lead to more efficient and easier to implement uh, systems at the cost of flexibility and scalability. And man, like here we are 40 years later and we're having the exact same conversations about protocols. So I just, I just love that framework. Loved hearing from this guy. Well, it's fascinating. One, I unfortunately or fortunately wasn't around back then. Um, But I've tried to go back and understand how the internet happened. That is actually the title of one of my favorite books is How the Internet Happened. Um, and it's just a amazing kind of, um, you know, archaeology of, of exactly what you're describing is how these movements came about and these discussions that were happening then that are so relevant and applicable to crypto. Um, and so definitely, like, I think um, where, for instance, during DEF CON, the before COVID in Osaka, the huge thing when L2s were being discussed very heavily <clears throat> was you're going to break composability. You would hear this idea of breaking composability. And I went to one of the, uh, what I think is one of the smartest devs. He's super critical, like calls out bullshit. I love him. And I said, well, is it like correct to think about composability as a binary thing of breaking it like either you have it or you don't or should we be more thinking about is it a spectrum of the latency that you might have between these um chains that okay it's not atomic like but can you introduce some sort of latency at least today before the infrastructure catches up like ibc and stuff where like where you accept some sort of spectrum. And I said, I got to think the internet went through this, where there's different standards, there's all these communication issues. And I said, my appreciation is that the internet kind of went through these growing pains and ultimately they really solved that connectivity and the ordering, like all these different things, right? Um, and he was like, I, I think it, I mean, he, he was like basically, um, you know, agreed on that premise. Yeah. So maybe we should just have like a, you know, 80 system engineer. I mean, I'll bring, we, we should bring this we should bring, I mean, this if you go home. back to this uh, thing that struck me here, I'll pull this back up, is we talk about it in, in crypto, we talk about it is basically two ends of the spectrum. There's modular versus monolithic. And what this guy said is he's like, well, what are the hybrid solutions? Um, and, and he's like, the internet became a hybrid solution, right? Uh, it was very modular at the beginning. 
this kind of these seven layers one out, but then it became this hybrid system. So if you think about like uh, TCP IP, for example, that's an integrated protocol suite. These protocols are part of this like layered architecture, which is actually more modular in design, but the entire stack isn't modular, right? Or like uh, CDNs, right? Content delivery networks are this like hybrid model where uh, you've got kind of decentralized distribution, which is a modular trait it, that's combined with centralized control and optimization, which is this kind of like monolithic trait. So, and it, 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 it uh, he, he said one other one. Oh, SDNs, software defined networking. I don't honestly understand what that means, mm-hmm. but he can come on and explain it to us. So there's a, there's a bunch of these um, examples. It, of, it yeah. doesn't have to be modular. It doesn't have to be monolithic. It can be. I, I don't think it's either or candidly, yeah. like Avery from uh, the CTO of Aptos did, said something in this live stream that I want to dig deeper on, which is, Aptos, you can think of it as a um, monolithic integrated, I think integrated becomes a better word because I'll, I'll tell you why. He said, you can think of it as Aptos as a, like Ethereum, like monolithic, like Solana, monolithic. But he said, there are things in our stack that make it modular, including DA. And so I think there's, when he said that, I and I bring it back to what you just said, which is... um. I think integrated, and I've heard other people advocate, we probably should be using the word integrated. Yeah. Because within that integrate, it's really how you package it up where at different points, um, the integration may be, and I'm maybe saying something that is incredibly dumb, but I'll say it anyways. I think when the integration becomes very tight, you in many ways become indistinguishable from something that is what is modular be, be, can become indistinguishable for something that is monolithic if the integration is incredibly tight or very close to the point where it doesn't matter. That's a thought that I had. It might be the dumbest shit that I say in the pod and I may look at that, but I'll say it again. You understand what I'm saying? When you look at something that is modular, <clears throat> like a Rubik's cube, right? You're using Ethereum for settlement and execution. You're using Celestia for DA and consensus. And you're using whatever up top, you know, VM. You could use like whatever, like, you know, movement, um, SVM like Eclipse um, and and a whole combination. So you have these permutations in the Rubik's Cube. I think the state of which the modular movement is today is... The Rubik's Cube is very rough. It hasn't, like, it's just coming. <laughs> I mean, you just yeah. put it together. It has no greasing of the bearings. And so it's like, things are breaking. You don't have good UX. Um, these things are not, like, very well integrated yet. So you need a systems integrator to come and build the connectivity layer between and make that movement more tightly packaged. And I think a lot of the innovation, as I think about where I want to spend my time to learn, look out, and invest in teams is who is going to make this, like, I believe in modularity, who is going to make the modular blockchains more tightly integrated? Because I think that's an area of opportunity. Does that make sense? It makes sense. I mean, you could potentially argue that someone like something like a monad so did you see say say network do you see what say say had a big announcement today um we can look at it if you didn't see it but someone something like say or like monad are kind of sitting in between are more like these hybrid models sure 
Yeah. And, and maybe it's, again, I'm saying this through analogies because that's how I, my, my left curve lizard brain, non-technical under tries to understand things through analogies, but it may be actually incorrect when you just say, look, Celestia integrates exceptionally well, like with a move based VM and that like that integration just works really well. Maybe the challenge is just on the UX that is very poor and real yeah. crude at the moment. But, but I think, uh, look, some like the, I gotta think, and I, that the connectivity between chains is not perfect today. You have layer zero, you have chain link, you have like messaging between chains, but I would posit that that will become more important and an area of innovation, um, in perhaps the same way that the internet had to go through, um, like the to make as close to as we know composability in a monolithic context in a modular like in a multi-chain world and you're connecting stuff like and the way things interact and work in concert I think probably will become ex- like much much more fluid and better over time a theory again I may be wrong I need to do way more work but <clears throat> maybe this is a good transition into like my updated views on. Solana and Ethereum and um, because I've had a lot of, I've spent a lot of time listening to other podcasts. I've spent a lot of time also talking to builders and other investors of how they think about, obviously a lot of allocators are now thinking about the relative ratio between ETH and Sol and maybe ETH, Sol and uh, next gen L1s. So I think, uh, this whole modular and monolithic debate is also sparking some pretty interesting discussion around what is the roadmap of Ethereum? Vitalik had a good post this week. What is the end state for L2s? Why would you build on Solana versus Ethereum versus Aptos? Like, what really is the moat here? And, like, I don't... I don't want to fod or um, I think a lot of these, it's a multi-chain world. Different use cases are just going to require different type of, I think, execution like environment. But God, I, I think that um, I think a lot of people are, I think there's a huge awakening hmm. happening a- and it is everything on a relative basis. If 90% of your investments happened 90 plus in Ethereum, I think the biggest shift that you're going to see is mm, it's probably not going to be 90 going forward. Yeah. Not for new funds and merging managers and certainly not for more established funds. Yeah. I mean, the, hot, the hottest deals right now are in Solana and six I've months done, ago. No, no one I've done country. eight deals in the last <clears throat> two, three weeks, committed and funded. None of them are on, one of them is on, no. Maybe one is on Ethereum. I guess, like, if you count, well, would movement. you count something like movement being yeah, on yeah, Ethereum? Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's that's why I was like, yeah. So wait, so the rest of so the other six or seven are in Solana or in just other ecosystems? Let me look. Predominantly, predominantly Solana. Where do you track your investments? Do you have a spreadsheet? <laughs> I have an Excel sheet open. <laughs> What is, uh, on, can I, what, how do you, I've actually found this quite tough. Like, where do you, 
do you just have a spreadsheet and you 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 like what what are the columns like what are the what are you looking at on this spreadsheet well um i look at so company name committed and allocated because sometimes i commit an amount then i don't get the full allocation i want to understand when that happens what is the equity valuation what is the token fully diluted network value sometimes there's I don't like sometimes companies don't ever think about FDB. They're like, we're never going to launch a token. So oftentimes it's blank. Other, other times I make an assumption of two to one ratio or one to one. <clears throat> then number of tokens, purchase price for the tokens, um, realized gain, unrealized gain. So then, of course, money, MOM, money over money, and then DPI. Um, DPI obviously just tracks what's been realized. MOM includes unrealized. unrealized. And then I have a couple, three other columns that are like, and I was just updating this today. I spent like an hour a day or like, no, multiple hours a week just updating this stuff. Um, just I now have been, no, 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 updating it. Like, a, <laughs> there's like one, which is a bear case valuation, base case valuation, bull case valuation. And then I track like, you know, um, Funded, closing, you know, sector. I, I sort of a taxonomy of like, I want to bucket these. Mm. L1, L2s, gaming, infra, DeFi, NFTs, yada, yada, yada. There's a certain type of like nomenclature that I use. Just to understand like where I'm mm -hmm. allocating, I'm over allocating, under allocating. And those are primarily, I probably should add a few other columns like ecosystem, right? Like as we were just talking about. I would say the most interesting one, which I've added actually today and it could, ties back to a discussion that you and I were having around positioning the portfolio is I think even if you're not a professional money manager, no matter what, you, it is incredibly important to have a fan of returns mm -hmm. and assign some sort of probabilities, right? What is the best case for an L2? What is the bear case? What's a bull case? What's the base? And then it's not to say that that's going to be set in stone. I think it's just a reminder of when you underwrite and make the investment. If I'm making an investment in L2, well, what's going to factor into your calculus? Well, I'm going to look at where are other L2s, right? The best L2 today, Arbitrum, uh, from a fully diluted network value. And yes, full disclosure, I'm an investor, folks, is trading at $8 billion or so. <clears throat> then you have Optimism at 7 Then you have... Starkware private rounds or secondary markets. There's a lot of these L2 that haven't been launched. They're trading in the two to $3 billion, $4 billion range. The CK Sinks of the world, the Starkware's scroll. Um, then you have Blast, right? And so um, I'm going through that exercise now because you can get carried away very quickly if yeah. you don't set discipline and standards. All right, everyone. So we talk a lot about the institutions coming into crypto on Empire. Santi and I are both headed out to London March 18th to 20th for Blockworks' eighth ever Digital Asset Summit, DAS. This is an institutional buttoned up conference that we've hosted since 2019. I like to joke that it is probably the last remaining kind of suit and tie event in crypto. People are still wearing suit and tie. It's pretty funny, but you'll actually hear from a lot of the largest institutions in the world coming from Standard Charter, FIS, JP Morgan, Framework folks coming out, Wintermute, Van Eck, Goldman Sachs. There are a couple big themes of this conference. One, Bitcoin catalysts, the halving and the spot ETF. Two, a view 
view from the buy side. Three, RWAs, tokenization and stable coins. Four, global regulatory frameworks. Five, institutional infrastructure, including banking and payments. And six, the macro case for crypto. If you have anything to do with the institutional side of crypto, you have to be there. Santi and I got your back. We hooked you up with a 20% off code. It is Empire 20. There is a little competition running internally at BlockWorks to see who can drive the most number of tickets. So help Santi and I out. Register with our code and you get 20% off. That is Empire 20. This episode is brought to you by the Chronicle Protocol, a cost-efficient, transparent, and decentralized oracle that gives protocols verifiable on-chain data. For the frequent listeners of Empire, you know that we talk a lot about MakerDAO. Well, Chronicle Protocol is a novel oracle solution that has exclusively secured over 10 billion in assets for MakerDAO and its ecosystem since 2017. And for the first time ever, Chronicle's oracle services are now publicly available. Why should you use Chronicle? It's simple. Chronicle offers a 60% reduction in gas fees for all of their leading counterparts. Also, super cool, they have unparalleled transparency when it comes to oracles. Chronicle offers a dashboard that allows anyone to track the genesis and trajectory of the data it provides. This is the first time ever that an oracle has made all of its data verifiable, setting a new standard for the accessibility of on-chain data. Endorsed by a network of the most revered validators, including Etherscan, Infura, Gitcoin, DYDX, and MakerDAO, Chronicle is the epitome of security and reliability in the Oracle space. It's time for a paradigm shift in Oracle development. You can learn more about Chronicle at chroniclelabs.org. Big thanks to Chronicle for sponsoring Empire. Today's episode is brought to you by Northstake, the secure and compliant staking platform for institutional investors. Northstake is purpose-built for institutions that want to enable the ability to move in and out of staked ETH seamlessly while controlling all aspects of their fund management. Northstake's tokenized ETH staking service offers institutions easy, low-risk crypto yield opportunities. It complies with both AML and Mika regulations, making it possible for institutions to tap into Ethereum's growth and earn staking rewards even through these pretty turbulent regulatory times in crypto. If you are an institutional investor seeking compliant crypto exposure and yield, Northstake streamlines that all for you. To get started, head over to northstake.dk forward slash tokenized hyphen e hyphen staking. I know you're probably not going to go to that long URL, so just click the link in the description of the episode That'll take you right to Northstake's site. Or if you're on YouTube, scan the QR code on your screen right now. Now, let's get back to the episode. When I first invested in something like Ethereum, like you come from a mindset of saying like, did I ever imagine that that was going to be a 200 or $300 billion network in what are we like year eight of development? So fucking lutely not. Like, no. A lot of people, you'll hear a lot of OGs say, yeah, of course. So obvious. I'm like, dude, I remember the early meetups and I don't like, just look at yourself in a straight face because you're not doing, at the end of the day, the only person you're fooling is yourself because it's okay to update your model. Like if you're seeing all these traction and for instance, if all of a sudden we start seeing way more funding into Solana, well, someone's going to flip Ethereum. There's a version of this next cycle where Solana flips Ethereum. And I think it's a greater than 25% probability. Sorry, you think it's a 25% probability that Solana... 20% probability that Solana flips Ethereum. Like, I don't want to say this cycle, but there is a version of this world where Solana flips Ethereum. 
And that doesn't necessarily mean that Ethereum shrinks in size. I think that Solana just uniquely enables different use cases that introduces way more usage, utility, therefore value. And there is a version where Solana and Ethereum are trading at the exact same FTV. And there's a version where Solana trades at a higher FTV. Is it more, okay, if that were to happen, is it more about what Solana got right or what Ethereum got wrong? Ethereum, um, what Solana got right. Because it's a very interesting question. Someone asked me, like, why don't I hold much Bitcoin? Is because what do you need to believe for Bitcoin to grow 10x in value? Basically establish the same market cap as gold. And gold took hundreds of years to ossify as a store of value, a social consensus. I don't necessarily believe that. Like, in order for Bitcoin to do a 10x, think about the amount, what that, like, what do you need to believe for that to happen? Sovereigns buy it. Yeah. A lot of allocators buy it. it it's, it's certainly possible. How many Michael Saylors do you think are out there in the world today and are going to be out there in the next five years? Look, I'm always amazed by how, like, quickly technology especially in an open source context, especially how connected the world is. It, it is just mind-blowing and fascinating how NVIDIA went from nothing, and we're all tracking it in crypto, to a trillion-plus company. That happened in very, like, the amount of value that gets created is basically, in the how quickly that can happen gets compressed, I think, in this state of the world, not just in crypto. So it can happen. But I need to believe, like, that. those set of assumptions, I think, are, I ascribe lower probability it is far easier for me to believe that Solana reaches the same market cap of Ethereum without believing all the other stuff that I just talked about. Like the crypto aggregate market cap doesn't need to be 10 trillion plus for Solana to flip Ethereum, I think. I could argue that it could stay, it doesn't have to grow much because there's two things that may happen. One that I'm arguing here, one, a rotation away from Ethereum into something like Solana. In that scenario, yes, I think there is some value. When you think about the collective value of Ethereum, if you include other L2s, then maybe some of that value does get sucked away and goes to Solana. It is possible. My operating assumption is not necessarily that one. It certainly has some probability, but it's low, I think. Well, I don't wouldn't think that's low. I think there's a higher probability where more money that is coming into the space and investing on a relative basis, the split between how historically it's been allocated to the Ethereum ecosystem will go down relative to how it goes to and be is allocated to Solana and, and some other ecosystems. But mm. especially in this debate around Solana, I think that share will grow considerably. So if you're a venture yeah. fund, you just raised blockchain capital in the world, as an example, not them. You just raised a $100 million fund. Fund two. Fund one, 90 plus percent of that went into Ethereum, right? Maybe 80 if you held some Bitcoin or whatever. But you're trying to outperform ETH, but you're still investing in the ETH ecosystem. Fund two, $100 million fund. Going, and you just raised it or are raising it. I would say maybe that ratio now goes 40% Solana, whereas before it was less than five, maybe mm. zero. Actually, mm. zero for many funds, like a okay, lot of here, funds. 
yeah. have zero exposure or have had zero investment yeah. dollars go into Solana. That number is going to grow by an order of magnitude. Let me ask you this. How, okay, if that's your thesis, how much exposure do you put on, how do you play, how do you play that trade basically? Do you buy Solana or, I mean, we've been, you know, just sure. on Telegram talking about Solana NFTs. Depends um, on what type of investor you are. You specifically. Me? Well, yeah, I, like, are you, are you, like, are you, markets? Yeah. I'm certainly, I've entertained the idea of selling all my ETH and buying Sol. I've entertained all of your, I've entertained. I will say, it. someone called me last night and also brought that up. I've entertained it. Yeah. And I was listening to this. I've been just maniacally listening to everything that Anatoly has said in the public record and tracking his progress. And I think I had a big insight this week. Um, historically, I placed a lot. I had a tweet about this. Historically, I placed a lot of focus on the higher hardware requirements of Solana. But I think it comes from a point where if you truly believe that we are solving problems that need to be solved and people therefore are willing to pay for it, then hardware becomes irrelevant. And these, like to this point around, the cost of running a blockchain hardware, biggest criticism for Solana, it's an order of magnitude higher than Ethereum. Meaning, what does that actually you know, it just becomes more expensive to run a full node. Um, and so there's only, it discriminates certain people where Ethereum, anyone can run a node with a light client, you know, with a Raspberry Pi, it's 200 bucks versus 3000. My real question is, I don't think that's a big enough of a concern because if you have a very clear focus on the type of problem that you're addressing with the blockchain, people are going to be willing to pay for that because they make up way more and the problem, if you're solving a real problem, there's a ton of margin. And what does that mean for Solana? You hear Anatoly talk time and time again. He was developing some algorithms. Anytime he had alpha, an, an edge or found some alpha, he will receive the data ever so slightly slower. In financial markets, there's this latency of data. Uh, there's a great movie about people getting closer and closer to the stock market to be closer, right? That's bandwidth. That's another component of cost here. And they would get closer because if you receive information before someone else, that's MEV. Like you can do MEV. In Solana, they are very focused on solving that, which is for me, I see a team that is very focused in product market fit in a very unique problem that they're trying to solve. And that's why I think you've seen a lot of DeFi founders Excitement from people that in TradFi coming into Solana and saying, yeah, when you have a globally synchronized state machine where information is propagated with no, like no one has an unfair advantage, that is incredibly valuable to the point where, yeah, you're going to pay the hardware, right? You're going to pay the storage and you're going to pay the bandwidth because there is so much more value in getting to that state, Right where financial markets don't. And that's that was like in Ethereum and others, not just a criticism on Ethereum. As an industry, we've been, oh, we can do tr like, we can we can do trustless trust. Like these networks are fascinating. It's smart contracts and even Bitcoin, like the idea of having all these networks to reach consensus without trusting anyone. Mind-blowing. I study game theory. To me, it's a new chapter of game theory. Incredibly exciting and novel and, like, holy shit moment, right? 
but the approach has always been let's decentralize. Let's just de- but what does that fucking mean? Like like what does it actually mean? Like what product? And okay, DeFi is great, but when there's latency or there's really like you can't build a centralized order book model in Ethereum. You can in Solana. You can do micropayments in Solana. I'm not saying that every single application lends itself to Solana, which is also the other point. I think they've been very opinionated Mm. on the type of things that are going to work in Solana. And that's okay. It, it's not going to capture it all, but I don't think it's a winner, you know, one chain to rule them all world. Anyways, does that make sense? It does. It does. What, what got you to change your mind? About I heard Solana. Anatoly say the same thing three times in three different podcasts over three years. Hmm. And I was like, okay, yeah, that's a clear vision. And then, of course, oh, we can unpack this a lot. I was just having a great, fascinating discussion with um, Logan from Frictionless Capital. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, great guy. Like, we should probably have him on. He is probably one of the guys that, because I, I funny enough think that investors, the best investors in crypto articulate the technology and the value proposition better than founders, most founders. Um, <clears throat> and he's probably one of them. Like he's, he's very deep and he understands these things very well. Mert on Lightspeed, shout out, also very good. He's the rare people that like have that uh, skill. Um, but also the other thing that changes, I, I heard Anatoly, it was a podcast that I was on with him it might have been here, or I got invited to Bankless with uh, Vasily from Lido to talk about because they were like getting criticisms of like they're just so ETH centric. I was like, all right, well, let's have a Solana discussion. We didn't have the team, but we had Vasily from Lido, and there was just a couple of things that uh, were interesting. Like, for instance, dynamic fee markets are probably the most important and will be the most important thing to scale these blockchains. Hmm. Like, you can talk about parallel execution interesting for sure and you could talk about the different ways that you can do it like deterministically or optimistically i have a very specific view that i don't i'm getting a bit technical but i don't understand why you would use optimistically optimistic parallel execution i just think deterministic while it places more burden on the engineer specify very clearly what the smart contract or what app that they're doing at the smart contract layer what it can do Whereas optimistic, the engineer doesn't have to do that, but with um, deterministic, like you do. So it's a bit of an overhead from an engineer perspective, but like then that solves a lot of issues because if all of a sudden you know that there's a smart contract, for instance, with payments, when you're sending USDC, it's super simple. Like it's not like this crazy abstract, like smart contract. It's like very simple sending. So if an engineer explicitly says, my contract's only made for payments or it's a Venmo on chain, well, that's just very spe- explicit. It's a very like dumb smart contract. It's so that's a deterministic parallel computing environment that Solana instance Sui has. You have optimistic, which Monad Aptos say some of the Ethereum maybe can do this with access list. But I'm like, well, okay, like the issue with that is when you're trying to do the ordering of transactions and making sure that there's no like conflicting, right? It becomes incredibly hard to like parse through conflicting transactions, it just becomes easier in a deterministic environment because you know, when you're sending money, boom, easy. Like you can, the finality for that and the, and again, the finality is faster, but more importantly, 
you can do more dynamic and better price discrimination on fees because then all of a sudden you're like, you can set what I'm trying to say is maybe it's just too nuanced, but like I'm of the opinion that any infrastructure debate, perhaps the most important thing now is understanding how these different three cost components of blockchains are going to look over time because scalability is a very like TPS, all this stuff is, it's like TVL, right? But I think if we really dissect, it's like, all right, what is your hardware cost requirements going to look at when you have millions of applications and millions of users? Certainly TPS, like is not a standard, it's not standardized yet. Every project claims that they have the highest TPS. So right. for me, that's just like, it's a bullshit metric until we have some reasonable standard. But it's really, I think it's broadband and low credit, shout out to low, like broadband probably would become one of the most important and highest costs of blockchains, not hardware. Um, and of course, the most important thing is like how many people are actually running full nodes, not light nodes, full nodes, because then you can look at the Nakamoto consensus and say, okay, well, there's 20 different full nodes in Solana versus maybe two in Ethereum. So while realistically, you, it's much cheaper from a hardware perspective to run a node in Ethereum, no one's doing it practically. No one's running a fucking node in their kitchen, like no one. But if you have sophisticated players that are like jumps of the world, say, wow, a, like a, an environment where data syncs in real time and you can build all these different incredible applications like a centralized order book model and a perp on chain, there's huge fees that can be extracted from that. Yeah, I'm going to pony up the hardware costs. And, and yeah, I can probably stomach the bandwidth costs. Um, so anyways, I'm, I'm, I'm like deep on this. I'm, I'm like, of course, like not articulating this in, in the best manner, but, um, I think over time people will have this awakening. I think we, you yeah. know, and, and, and I'm not a maximalist. I don't want to fought Ethereum. I think there are merits. By the way, I was, I was with you until the very, I think that no, there are three or 4,000 full nodes on, on ETH or maybe even more than yeah, that. Yeah, there's like 3,500 3, full nodes on ETH today. Yeah. There but, was but, like, I, but I I was with you until the end there. Th- there was like 3,000 or so. Also, folks, it is uh, 11 p.m. where Santi is and has not eaten food all day. So we, we like uh, we <laughs> like 11 p.m. fasting Santi here. <laughs> yeah, I haven't had an apple all day, but... A little spicy. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's... I'm going through this process. I, I'm not... Look, I am participating in the early rounds of Solana. I did it at Parafuck. I wanted to have exposure to that. Did I appreciate all this that I'm saying now? Absolutely not. For me, it was a lot of the team back then. Um, I've been yeah. inv- I've been a judge in many hackathons. Credit the band for inviting me. I've been a breakpoint speaker. I've been going to breakpoint. I didn't go this year because um, I, I couldn't go. I was running a marathon. Um, but it's important to pay attention to this stuff. And... I also think a lot of this infrastructure debate and scalability debate should be taken with a a bit of a perspective, as you said, on how the internet actually happened. Like you can't really, I'm not a builder, I'm not technical, but I love history and I just constantly remind myself that technology moves really fast. The best thing that you can do, because I'm not going to predict it, I'm not going to predict the future, is understand the present exceptionally well, better than others. And I don't think a lot of fund managers really understand this nuance. I think they're opinionated. I think maybe it's just by some sort of selection that they've seen more deal flow in Ethereum. But I think that's going to rapidly change. In fact, I know it because I've talked to most funds out there in the last like month. <laughs> and they're all asking the same goddamn question. <laughs> 
how much ETH should I have relative to Sol? 10 to 1, 5 to 1, 1 to 1, 0 to 1. It's all the same. They're all asking themselves the exact same question. And it's not just Solana. It's other um, L1s. And if anything, if anything, like I still believe that there's a place for, you know, Ethereum and VM and L2s. I mean, I certainly made investments in a lot of this stuff. Um, It just depends on the use case. And a lot of these use cases we haven't even started to see. We can't even imagine them. Like who imagined Uber? Would have been a thing. Smartphone. No one. So anyways. Let me, um, let's close with this because some folks were tweeting at us about Solana NFTs and they wanted, they wanted your take (laughs) on this. So (laughs) I actually do want to, I'm going to, I'm going to go, you were, you were trying to write bell curve. So I'm going to bring us back to the left side here. If you look at Mad Lads, they are, they were sitting at 40, 45 to 50 soul back in. When is this? Two weeks Sir, ago. There's not looking at video. I'm just going to say, Yano is doing technical analysis on NFTs on Tensor. Man, I love no, it. No, I'm just looking at the price. I don't, know how to use, I don't know how to use Tensor. This is the only way I do it. I click the Pro version. Bollinger bands and Fibonacci. <laughs> yeah, yeah we, we, we hit the 61.8 Fibonacci number. Wait, is MATLAB hitting resistance? Definitely is. No, we're hitting resistance, baby. Yeah, exactly. No, a lot of support on this one. Look at those Bollinger bands. No, all I'm saying is if you Moving think average. if you think that soul is gonna rip the and you wanna I do you buy soul? I know you like your derivatives, right? Um, you know, I'm out here just going long Coinbase and you're doing like triple, quadruple, whatever, backwards you're probably outperforming buy this but thing. I have lower risk on the strategy. Um, why not just buy what is it, Quacks or whatever, or Quack? I got an honorary Quack, Quack. Yeah, Quacks, yeah, Mad Lads or Tensorians. Like, why not? Like, that's basically a levered bet on Soul, or or maybe you are as well. It's really a like, question, like, Santi, about like, what I'm not actually asking about Solana. No, no, how do you I'm, ask, do you, I'm asking do you about how do you think about buying N- yeah. NFTs? Look, look this goes back to the value accrual. Um, do you buy as a as a fund manager, whatever you want to outperform the benchmark? You're not outperforming Ethereum or Bitcoin or Solana. Well, folks, return capital and whatever, especially now that an ETF is coming. So I, I, I think certainly now as well as a, I still do as I consider myself a professional money manager, even though it's just my capital. Like I want to have the same discipline and structure. So it's hard to outperform. It has been hard to outperform over a decent period of time the underlying Bitcoin, Ethereum, like most funds actually don't. The same way that most hedge funds haven't outperformed the S&P and NASDAQ. <clears throat> so think, I think it's, it's, it's hard a timing to, to like do these lever bets on these ecosystems. I, I, I've expressed certain views, right? For instance, betting DeFi and Ethereum, well, I was a Parify, was a levered bet on Ethereum. Now that at some point is also a very opinionated view on DeFi. Now, you could say, okay, well, if Solana really picks up, in a version where Solana 10x from here, flips ETH, or just is a parity, right? Goes back to 200 or whatever, right? If it grows in, in value, network value, what needs to happen for that, right? And so if you invert and you say, okay, what needs to happen for Sol to do X or Y? I think you could reasonably say that a whole host of applications are going to be built, some of which 
a lot of it was what has been built in Ethereum has been successful, what can be ported over to Solana. The more perhaps interesting discussion, because a lot of that has already happened, is um, you know, which applications are getting traction, but also which applications that didn't work in Ethereum can work in a bet in a in a more higher performant, however you want to define that, execution consensus environment, whatever. And I think that is the the more interesting question now is is it gonna be gaming? Is it gonna be you know social? Why is it going to be? So when I look back concretely in the seven deals that I made, those seven deals are early stage bets on parts of Solana, like like Solana v you know the uh, Eclipse, for instance. Um, um, that was one bet. So that's a Solana EVM, like the SVM, right? Um, like Marginfly, for instance. Well, it's like a you know money market of sorts in 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 Solana. So I think that. I would, I think of it as I always want to hold the underlying, the base, because I think value does accrue. This is like, you know, fat protocol thesis kind of thing. Um, because I'm making two different bets. One, that Solana is underappreciated and the whole venture community and funding community and like doesn't have enough. While it has had incredible performance year to date, 6X or whatever, um, it's still on a relative basis, like quite small. So, but I do think that, um, I wouldn't touch NFTs for that. Not because I don't think you can actually outperform. I think there's a version where you, you're, you're, you buying NFTs on Solana vastly outperforms my private investments in some of these applications that may take four years in the making and might not even make it. So, but that's, that's collecting, man. I don't, I don't collect to sell. That's just my philosophy. I don't think I've ever sold an NFT Maybe one actually where I was gifted an NFT and then someone wanted to buy it from me and the team that, that gifted to me. I was like, this is weird. Uh, no, I, I also don't think I've ever sold an NFT. Though, to be fair, I also. It, it's really a, it's a time. I really though, sold though. crypto when I should have sold crypto and should have sold some of those. I, 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 it's hard because, I mean, I think there's many one-on-one rules of investing. Don't lose money, which is kind of like, okay, duh. <laughs> but the more important one is just don't fall in love with anything. Yeah. So always have a price target in mind. Which was Tommy's point in that in that group chat, which was you you and uh, Ryan were telling him to get a punk, and he's like, "Look, I'm I don't want to get married to anything." That's that. that's a problem with NFTs. Like like, yeah. just become attached to these things. Anyways, I don't know how you think about it, dude. But look, I suffice to say that I'm making some meaning, pretty meaningful changes in my portfolio because I've gone back to kind of first principles thinking and just going a bit deeper on the tech. Yeah. Cool. That feels like a good place to wrap. Is it? I have a hard stop in a few minutes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, listen. You're uh, like, I'm also like, I'm I don't know. It's 11 o'clock for you. I'm ready to go for an hour. Can I get another? What do you want to talk about? We got Lido. Is Lido a systematic well, risk talk, to the thing that we, didn't talk, we didn't talk about Lido. We didn't talk about Vitalik's post. We didn't talk about, we didn't talk about um, Wormhole. When, did this, about when wormhole. did this Wormhole fundraise actually happen? This feels like a raise that happened. I have no idea. Yeah. This feels negotiated. Yeah, there's so much. I mean, look, folks, we're heading into the holidays. I'm gonna be doing a bunch of traveling, but I'm fired up. Uh, there's a lot to talk about. We, we don't got we don't got holidays yet. We got three weeks till the holiday. We got four weeks till the holidays. Don't don't try to get off this easy. You know, it's like is is it that speaking? We have to round it with uh, Spotify, of course. Which is two things. One, I want folks to drop their year in review, and hopefully, we see Empire. Only, only if Empire was on there for sure. 
No, no, no. I want to see what people listen to. And if we're last, fine. Like, I want to actually pay attention to that. But also, as we think about the holidays, look, man, there's people that put up their Christmas tree and whatever holiday attire like a month ago. And Mariah Carey, <laughs> what's that song? Yeah. <laughs> we oh, all hate it. Oh, Christmas. <laughs> look, you might laugh at her, man. The amount of royalties that she makes on that. We're doing it wrong, man. We should we just go wrong. EDM track and <laughs> claim royalties on that. On chain, of course. Um, Mariah, anyways, according according to the Economist, small. Carrie's All I Want for Christmas. All I Want is for you. Christmas is you made Carrie $60 million between 94 and 2016. So that doesn't take into account the last seven years. Um, <laughs> God damn. God damn. Yeah, I hate the song, God but God I love that. I love it. <laughs> We Anyways, need a better from, jingle for Empire is what we need, so we can. Yeah, can, can we someone? Can, can, we need a jingle here, and like, we need a. Can someone drum up a better jingle for Empire? I We're still using I the thing we made get, on Broadway. Can't even yeah. get Blockworks and Empire merch, folks. Like, we are still very much in. We're slumming it, baby. We're slumming <laughs> it. <laughs> Anyways, thanks everyone for listening. It's been a treat. Giano, for the record, let it be known that it's shutting me down. It's ten fifty. It's almost eleven p.m. here. I got a flight to catch that is going to severely jet lagged me but i still want to go and he's dropping me so let let it be known that that is happening peace folks <laughs> everyone thank you so much for watching today's episode really hope you enjoyed it we wanted to take a second to just remind you about our upcoming digital asset summit in london march 18th to 20th santi and i got your back seats are limited and we hooked you up with a 20 percent off discount code it is empire 20 if you heard it earlier in the podcast there's a little competition running at blockworks to see who can drive the most number of tickets so when you register for the digital asset summit make sure you use our code empire 20 see you in london